So, so last week, we, I was supposed to get through the whole chapter, and I couldn't get that far. And so this week, we're going to, uh, we're going to kind of do a, bit, a little bit of review and really focus on the last section of Luke chapter 21. But before we do that, can we pray again? Is that cool? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you desire us to know you through your son, Jesus. And that, Lord, that this isn't, <laughs> this isn't just some sort of idea or, or religious um, commitment that we make. This is, you're the living God. That you hold all things in your hand, Lord. You control the future. You control the present. Lord, you're the one that knows the end from the beginning. And, Lord, no one else does. And so, Father, we pray as we, as we look at this section of Scripture, no matter what we're going through today, no matter how difficult our lives feel right now, that, Lord, you would help us to find the hope that you've provided through Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here last week, you know that this section, Luke 21, is where Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's warning his disciples about the soon coming destruction of Jerusalem. And we know that happened in 70 AD, but we also know that he used that future destruction of that city to point forward to a time when God would judge the whole world. Kind of heavy stuff, isn't it? But, but here's the reality. The end of the world doesn't really grip the wife whose husband said he's leaving her for a younger model. The, the end of the world doesn't really grip that, that, that young dad who just found out he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. The end of the world doesn't really grip uh, that med student who's failed their exam for the third time. It doesn't grip those people that much because they feel like they're already at the end of their world. And so when we think about that, when, we, when we, we think about one time in our life, sometime in our life, we're going to experience something where we feel like this is the end of my world as I know it. We're going to feel like this is it. Everything's falling apart. And when the disciples heard Jesus talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, their dreams about God's kingdom were falling apart. They, they, they were l- listening to him and they must have been feeling like, what, what the end? But you just got here. Why would the kingdom end? Or why would there be the end of all things now? What's going on? We don't understand. But what Jesus really wanted them to see, and we see this as we talked about a little bit last week, we see this in the exhortations that Jesus brings throughout this message. That the exhortations are not about be afraid, but be hopeful. Be hopeful. That even if it's the end of our world as we know it now, or it's just the end of your world as you know it now, no matter what, listen, there's a place through Jesus for hope. So we're going to look at four truths that that, that Jesus gives us in this that that give us hope. Now we're going to review the first three because we saw them last week. And then we're really going to focus on the last one. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a lot of the scripture just to kind of remind us. I'm going to read a chunk and then tie up uh, uh, as a way of review of what we talked about last week. So look at verse 7. They asked him, Teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See that you are not led astray. 
For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs in heaven. Now Jesus says all these things and he's talking about these calamities that are going to take place. And And the point we made last week is that these calamities are a temporary reality. That this is not going to be just like, for all of time, it's going to be disaster after disaster after disaster after disaster. That's not what he's spelling out here. He's saying, listen, that before even Jerusalem's destroyed, there's going to be these kinds of experiences. In fact, in the other gospel accounts of this message of the Olivet Discourse, he says, these are the beginning of birth pangs. And we need to know something. First, we need to... We, we want to make sure that we are not manipulated by end times deceivers. People who use these kinds of calamities that say, oh, see, you're, you're scared? It's okay, come follow me. I'll be your Messiah. I'll be your Savior. Sometimes they say that in a big religious sense. Sometimes they say that as an individual sense. I'll save you. Or, and don't be afraid of those people who say, hey, this must be the time. It's got to be right now, so you better do X, Y, and Z. And I'll tell you how to do X, Y, and Z for 1995. No, don't be deceived. But also, do prepare, listen, to demonstrate hope to fellow sufferers. When Jesus says, don't be terrified, he's saying to those who are his disciples, listen, even in the midst of these horrible, difficult things, things that you could possibly experience, In your lifetime, you still have hope because of me. And you'd be prepared to demonstrate that hope in the midst of fellow sufferers. The uh, author of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he he writes this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He's talking about creation in general, talking about all of creation groaning with these birth pangs. Listen, he says, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. See, these these sufferings that we see on earth, they are like birth pangs. They'll get more intense, they'll get more frequent, but they aren't the actual delivery. Delivery comes when Christ comes back, and then that's when death dies. And we look forward to this. And because we look forward to this, listen, we do want to be prepared as we're going through calamities that we, we don't act like they don't bother us because that's just not true. But we go through these calamities and we hold fast to the hope that's in Jesus. Look at verse 12. But before this, Jesus says, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and governors for my name's sake. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all, uh, by all for my namesake. 
but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So here we saw last week that Jesus is talking about, even before these natural disasters happen, even before the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem, and as we'll see, the, 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 the second coming of Christ, even before those signs begin to come to pass, what you're going to experience is probably persecution. But for a Jesus follower, persecution gives us a unique opportunity. It gives us a chance to actually point to Jesus. So there's some do's and don'ts with this as well. Listen, we, knowing this is true, that persecutions will give us a unique opportunity, we need to expect them. We need to expect persecutions. They are going to come in some form. But also, listen, we need to trust Jesus that he'll give us what we need to endure those kinds of persecutions. And we do not want to miss the opportunity to point to him. You see, the, the, the issue is what our message is as Jesus followers, it's not come to Jesus and life will be easier for you. Never. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, it's not on the screen, but you can look it up later. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, if we, as Jesus followers, have in this life only hope, we are among men the most pitiable. In other words, if our hope as Jesus followers, is just what we experience in the here and now, people should feel sorry for us because God calls us not only to expect the kind of suffering that the whole world goes through, but to expect even more suffering, including persecution. But when we recognize that that's not the end and that God uses our persecutions to make himself known, oh, we can say, oh, wait, this is, a, this is an opportunity. The Apostle Peter would write about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of the threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Why would they ask, if the, the, why would they ask you for a reason for your hope? Because they see you have hope when you suffer your faith, when you're persecuted. Hey, we're not saying you should look to be persecuted or be obnoxious so you can say, oh, look at me, I've been persecuted. No, you're just being obnoxious. But we are saying, listen, we are saying, if, if we as Jesus followers expect to be persecuted, we can even have hope in that because, okay, Lord, I don't want to suffer, but if I do have to suffer for your name, guess what? I believe, I believe you're going to use that to testify to you. I'll be able to have more credibility to point to you. So that was the second thing. Persecutions are unique opportunities. The third thing was this, is that judgments fulfill what was written. Look at verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem, this is Jesus still speaking. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are outside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there'll be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Go over to verse 29. Jesus tells this parable. 
Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not take, excuse me, will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now here, when Jesus is telling them very plainly, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and guess what? Just as he just said, it came to pass. 70 AD. In fact, if you remember from the beginning of the context from last week, Jesus said to them about when they were marveling on the temple and the huge stones that built the temple, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left uh, thrown down upon another. And we know historically in 70 AD when the Romans sacked Jerusalem that because the Herod uh, had, had covered the, the, the temple with so much gold, there was so much gold inside that basically someone chucked a, uh, a torch inside there and it burned. And because it burned, they thought, we want to get the gold that melted and fell in the cracks. And so guess what they did? They turned over every single huge stone in the temple to get the gold. Exactly fulfilling Jesus' words. Now, there's some, there's some do's and don'ts with this one as well. Do not rejoice in anyone's judgment. There's no, there was no joy in Jesus' heart about Jerusalem being sacked and destroyed. There's never any joy in God's heart about judging those who refuse to believe him. Listen to this. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32, God says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Jesus gives this prediction of God's judgment. Jesus was clear about how narrow the way is. There's only one way to God, only one way we can be in right relationship with God. That's through him, Jesus. One singular way. He talks about how difficult that is, how few will actually believe. But he doesn't say that gloating or rejoicing over those that are lost. It grieves him. He wants you to turn to him. But also, this should be a reminder to us that we should, you do need to, we do need to give thanks that God always does what he says. He always does what he says. So even when we see judgment happen or we see people reaping what they've sown, as God says they will, even when we see that, as much as we grieve over the suffering they're going through, we can still even rejoice, God, thank you. You always do what you say. Do you realize this is your hope? This is your salvation, that God does what he says. This is how you know there's more than just suffering on this earth. This is how you know there's, and ultimately, if you're a Jesus follower, there's purpose for your pain. This is how you know that the end is not death. Because Jesus does what he says. God always does what he says. Listen to this. Again, Peter. He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, you have been born again. That's those of us who have put our faith in Christ. We've been born again. Another word for that would be regenerated, given new life. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah, for all flesh is like grass and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but what stays forever? The word of the Lord remains forever. 
And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Listen, listen, please don't miss this. This is so important. The reason we can have hope in Jesus is because of who Jesus is and that he proved, listen, that he can be trusted. If Jesus would have just kind of been this good teacher that many people want to limit him as, he's just a good teacher. He taught us good things. Loving your neighbor, that's a good thing. Sacrificing for others, that's a good thing. Taking care of the poor, that's a good thing. He's just a good teacher who taught us good things. And then he died on the cross. We just thought, well, that's what happens to good guys who teach good things. Don't know if I want to follow that example. But he said, listen, he didn't just come to teach us these good things. He did teach us these good things. They show us the character of his kingdom. But he came to atone, listen, to pay for our sins. To make a way that we could be right with God through him. He's the perfect man. He's God the Son. He makes the way. And listen, when he says, if you believe, if you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. When he says, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he shall live. When he says that, when you say, yes, Jesus, I believe you keep your word because you said you would die and rise from the dead, and you did. That's how we are born again. Because he keeps his word. So it's, it's hard and it's grieving to know what happened to Jerusalem. But it's glorious that God keeps his word because our very salvation is dependent upon that. So now in this context, listen, in this context of, of Jesus talking about the future destruction of, of Jerusalem, which is a heavy theme to think about, and even the ultimate destruction of the world, God's judgment on the world, which is a heavy thing to think about. In that context, he's wanting us to have hope. And so we get to the last section we're going to look at from verses 25 down to 38. And the reason he wants us to have hope, listen, is because hope is the motivation for holiness. That's a kind of a churchy word, isn't holiness? It's kind of a weird word, actually. Even church people don't like the word holiness. People don't talk about this stuff much anymore. Holiness, when I hear holiness, I kind of think of holier than thou. Oh, would you like to be holy? Like me. That's what I think. But when the scripture talks about holiness, listen, holiness is this idea, this reality of God who is holy, separate from all that he's made it, all that he's made, uh, all, that, all that in his perfection, that this God who is holy sets us apart for himself and being set apart is what it means to be holy. It's being set apart by God for God. That's what makes something holy. And God calls us to pursue holiness. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that we should pursue holiness because without it, we don't get to see the Lord. We should say, God, I want to be set apart by you and for you. And so in this last couple sections here, Jesus is, is wanting his Disciples, he's wanting those that would hear this to take heed, to recognize the hope they have in him and let that be the motivation to endure to the end and to pursue the holiness, to pursue being set apart for his purposes. So pick it up, verse 25. 
Verse 25 says, And there will be suns, uh, I'm sorry, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Cool. That's heavy. Now, when Jesus talks about these, these kind of cosmic disturbances, these signs of sun, moon, and stars, it's tricky to know exactly what he means. Some commentators say that there's, this is connected to some of the things that were happening during the fall of Jerusalem. The Romans were, uh, had, had these archers who would shoot these flaming arrows, and when the arrows were shot at night, it looked like the stars of the sky were falling on them. Some people say it just means that. But this is obviously taking us beyond just the fall of Jerusalem and to the ends of the, of the world. So we don't know at the end of the age what that's going to look like. Is it a meteor shower? I mean, I don't know. But it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be horrible. And Jesus isn't mincing words about that. It's going to be so bad, listen to me, it's going to be so bad that there's going to be the people that are going to witness these things, they're going to be fainting with fear and foreboding. That's heavy, isn't it? Now, you can understand why people don't like to preach on this stuff. <laughs> hey, come to church. It'll really make you feel better. There'll be fear and foreboding. It's heavy stuff, but you can hopefully understand. I hope you're beginning to see why Jesus is telling his disciples this. One, because it's going to happen. And two, because what he's going to do is we're going to see he's contrasting those who have no hope with those who do. Because those who have no hope, when they face these kinds of heavy things, whether they be natural disasters or the ultimate judgment of God, when they face these things, they have no hope. What do they have? Fainting with fear and foreboding. That's all they got. That's all they got. Now, it's interesting because then he says in verse 27 something else that's really important for us to recognize. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Now remember, Luke's gospel is volume one of a two-volume set, right? The second, uh, the second volume is the book of Acts. So listen to this. This is, when, this is in Acts chapter one when Jesus is ascending to heaven. This is the resurrected Christ who showed that he had a real physical body. It was a new glorified body, a bit different than what we have now, but still, it was a real physical body. He breathed, he ate food, all that kind of stuff. He had risen from the dead, showed himself several times, gave his instructions to the, gave his instructions to the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit empowers them to be witnesses, and then he ascends to heaven. Here's what we see. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up, into, uh, taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, this is why this is important, because Jesus said in the other gospel accounts, this Matthew and Mark, he said when he comes back, every eye will see him. There's, no going to be, there's not going to be any secret return of Jesus. Now, there's a group, there's a cult group, 
nice people, but it's a cult group who stands outside the university or comes to your door very nicely, usually a younger person and an older person, and tries to give you or sell you their leaflets about the kingdom of God that Jehovah brings. They're called Jehovah's Witnesses. And you need to know something. They actually believe that Jesus came back and he's here in secret in Brooklyn. Now, I'm not trying to mock people. I really am not. Okay, I am mocking a little bit. But I'm not, I'm not trying to mock the people. They are sincere in their beliefs. Many of these people do uh, for their cult what we don't do for what the truth is to our shame. But the reality is they're believing the very thing that Jesus says will not happen. I will not come back in secret. Now, this is important. It's important because when Jesus says what he says next, it's based on the fact that he's going to come back and there's not going to be any doubt that he's returned. Look at verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, he says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Straighten up, raise your heads. What is that? It's a position of confidence. Now, just... just Put these things together. When is he calling his disciples to do this? Okay. When it starts looking like hell on earth, straighten up and look up. Be confident. Be confident. Does that seem a bit much to ask? No, no, seriously. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you guys who are Jesus followers. You guys who aren't yet Jesus followers, you're probably thinking, this stuff's nuts. I'm not sure about this stuff yet. But you guys who are Jesus followers, listen, seriously, listen. Is that too much to ask? Is it too much to ask for Jesus to ask us to say, hey, when things get tough, look up. Be confident. Because your, your hope is, your redemption is close. We'll talk about what redemption is in just a second. But I want you to think about this. Jesus is saying this before he's been betrayed, beaten, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. He's saying this. But this was written by Luke after those things took place. So Luke is writing these things that Jesus said in his gospel to call those who would read, including us, to say, hey, make a decision. Is it too much to ask? To say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Because this is the difference between those who have hope and those who don't. Those who don't have hope, they fear. There's foreboding. Now, I need to be clear about this too. Feeling afraid doesn't mean you don't have faith. Fear is a natural response. Our body responds in fear to things. That's the fight or flight mode that we feel. That's that's. That, there's no sin in that by itself. It's when we, when we abide in that fear, when we let that fear dictate the direction of our lives, that's when it becomes a problem. Because if we do that, then guess what? It's not dictating our lives. The hope we have in a risen Savior. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I really hope, I really hope we don't have Christmas shortages. I really, I really hope that. I really hope that petrol prices don't go through the roof. I really hope that we see this pandemic fizzle out and go away. I really hope that we don't see tens of thousands of more people die of flu this year. 
uh, than usual years, years past. I, I really hope that all my kids are home at least before Christmas so that we can be together. I really hope all these things happen, but that's not the basis of my hope. Because if I get flu and die, or if the kids can't make it, or if I can't afford to drive anymore, it's okay. It's not fun, but it's okay. You know why? Because I know my redemption draws near and my redemption is guaranteed because Jesus is alive. Now, listen to what the scripture says. I'm going, this is Romans again, Romans chapter 8. It says, not only, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's God's Spirit, who dwells in us if we're believers in Jesus, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, that is the redemption of our bodies, for this hope we were saved. Jesus says, look up because your redemption draws near. Speaking of the resurrection. Now that word redemption, it's one of those words that it gets used outside of Christian circles. People talk about redemption. It's the name of several famous movies, redemption. And it's this kind of idea that we sort of feel we know what it means, but we don't really know how to define it. And really, it comes from this idea of a slave. To redeem means to buy back. It's the idea that you've had a runaway slave He's been caught by someone else. You pay to get him back under your possession. Which I know in our modern sensibilities makes us feel uncomfortable, but just kind of go with the metaphor a little bit, okay? Because the idea of your redemption draws near. Here's the idea of redemption. It's that when that which is purchased is in the possession of the one who purchased it. That's the idea of redemption. When that which is purchased is in the possession of the one who purchased it. It's a picture, listen, of Jesus saying, I've paid for you with my own blood. I've made a way for you with my own blood so that you could be with me forever. This is the hope that he's talking about. This is the hope that is meant to motivate what we see in verse 34. Drop down to verse 34. Jesus says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. For that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now, the hope that motivates us, listen, the hope that motivates us towards holiness to be set apart for God and his purposes is the hope in, in the resurrected Jesus returning the same way he ascended. He's going to come back and make all things new. That's our hope. But it's also, listen, a hope that turn, leads to unburdening our hearts from all the things that distract us. In fact, this phrase here in verse 34, weighed down, it means to be burdened by. That's the idea. And when Jesus says, listen, watch yourselves, and he's speaking to his disciples, the implication is pretty clear, isn't it? That even Jesus' followers are tempted to be weighed down by these things. All of us are. Dissipation. 
You could say that could be wastefulness. The, the word there specifically speaks of kind of having a headache. It's the idea that your whole life is so consumed with whatever it is that you're trying to escape into that it's giving you a headache. There's this big controversy right now with uh, Facebook, isn't there? Facebook and Instagram. Because they did an internal survey. They did some research to see the effects on social media on young people. You guys heard about this one? And they don't want to release the, they don't want to release the, the research. They want to keep it in-house. But what was leaked about the research was that it is incredibly damaging. Social media, specifically Instagram, is incredibly damaging to young people. Because they, they, they obsess over what they see. They want to project a different picture of themselves. You guys have probably seen some of this. Probably even more on TikTok than it is on Instagram. But you've probably seen people, maybe you're not even aware, maybe if you're old like me, you weren't even aware of what was going on. But if you've ever been out in the city center or somewhere, and all of a sudden you see a couple girls are posing. You know what I'm talking about? Someone else taking a picture posing. They're doing whatever they're doing. That's usually for something like Instagram or TikTok. Put it on their social media. And before they put it on, guess what they do? They edit the crud out of it. Slim the waist. Puff up the lips. Expand the bosoms. Get away any spots or blemishes. This is what they do. And guess what? It's not just young girls. Though they, in their research, suppose they're the ones most affected. It's even young men. I'll confess something to you. You'll probably think I'm shallow, but it's okay. I'm going to confess something to you. When I found out that Hugh Jackman, you know Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, is my age, I felt bad. (laughs) I'm like, how come I'm not Jack like Hugh Jackman? And I, I, I found myself fantasizing, man, if I just had six hours a day and my private dietitian, I could look like Hugh Jackman at 52. It's stupid, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you, Kathleen. It is. It's ridiculous. But listen, it's real. And if an old dude like me can get sucked into it, how much a younger person who hasn't yet learned from the rebukes of life that the thing that matters most is not, not what your figure looks like, but who your friends are, who really loves you. The reason I'm bringing this up is because this idea of dissipation or wastefulness is that you're burdened down by trying to find something you can escape into. Drunkenness. Do we need to explain what drunkenness is? I don't think so. I hope we know in a biblical sense, drunkenness and drinking are not the same thing. But I also hope we know that drunkenness is a very serious thing. The scripture says Don't be deceived. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom. That's not God wagging his finger at those who have an alcohol problem. That is God warning us, if you're going to put your faith in escaping into alcohol, then you're not putting your faith in me. And too many of us do this. But here's the one that gets all of us. Because if I, as I read those two things, the stupidity of, of worrying about like how you look or trying to escape that way, and drunkenness, there's many here in this room who go, oh, that's not me. But what about this one, the cares of life? Because you know what the cares of life are? It's the things that weigh us down every day. Family responsibilities. Job responsibilities. School responsibilities. Jesus says, be careful 
those things are going to burden you down. And when they burden you down, you're going to lose your perspective on what I've done for you. Listen to this. The scripture says uh, about the kinds of things that can tempt us. And don't think these things don't tempt you away from Jesus. Because the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, uh, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, no, I don't, I don't worship my family. I'm just trying to be faithful to my family. Be careful. Oh, no, I don't worship my job. I'm just trying to work hard. Be careful. Oh, no, no, I, I, I know God's in control. I, I just don't sleep ever because my term papers are due. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to add any more pressure on any of you guys that are stressing about those very real things of life. I say that as a fellow stressor. What I'm saying is we need to heed Jesus saying, be careful, because he gives us a hope that is meant to unburden us. Isn't this why we have a hard time? Listen, isn't this why we have a hard time ministering to other people? Because we're too weighed down by our own stuff. I mean, isn't that the case? So I'm not saying stop being weighed down. I'm saying, what has Jesus given us to bear our burdens? What hope do we have to bear that burdens? Listen to this. This is also a temptation as we get closer to the Lord's return. This is what Jesus says in the same context, the same message, but Matthew's version. Listen, Matthew 24, 12, and 13 says, and because, this is Jesus speaking, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I'll, say, I'll tell you, the thing that's really hard to watch in these, in these days is how many professing believers and Christian leaders seem to not care or love God anymore. They just bail on the Christian faith. They just chuck the gospel aside. They just leave their ministries to go live for the here and the now. And I think, man, Lord. It, it, it grieves me when I look around at Christians who are so slow to forgive each other. And I think, gosh, the love of many is waxing cold. And it's tempting to go, what's the point? What's the point? Why, why, why make all the effort? Jesus is the point. He's the reason we make the effort. We believe that him who rose from the dead can change us who walk in our deadness. He's our hope. Now, we only are unburdened as we pray to the one who delivers us. Look at verse 36. But stay awake, Jesus says, at all times. That doesn't mean don't sleep. Sleeplessness is not a good thing. If you need prayer for that, let us pray for you. I struggle with that myself. He says, stay awake in all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, here, here's what he's talking about. There are some who say this is talking about escaping all these things means that before the Lord comes to judge the earth, that he's going to take away his church. The church will be raptured. It might mean that. I don't know. And I'll say this. If it means that and that happens, I'm not going to complain. But here's what we know for sure it means, okay? It might mean the other, but here's what we know for sure it means. He's saying, I want you to pray to me who saves you because it's only through me who saves you that you have a standing before God. There's something, 
There's a theme throughout all the New Testament that's really clear. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But the salvation that we're given by grace alone, through faith alone, needs to be applied. It needs to be worked out. We see that through the New Testament. Jude, who's the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, wrote this in his little postcard of an epistle. He said, but you, beloved, that's you who are loved by God, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. It doesn't mean just you by yourself. It means we want to build each other up is the idea. In your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. That is, God, I want to seek you by the power of your Spirit because on my own, my prayers would be religious and bland. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. That does not mean you keep yourself lovable. It means you stay in that place where you go, I know I'm loved even when I don't feel like it. I know the cross of Christ proves that I'm loved by God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's a reference of his return. That he's going to bring us with him. And he says this in this, this kind of doxology to end his little epistle. Now him, it's like a, 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 he's, he's praising God here. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's the God you pray to. <laughs> God, it's you who's going to get me through this. No matter how bad things get on this earth, it's you who's going to pull me through. Whether it's the end of the world or the end of my world, you're going to get me through. My hope is in you, and I want to be set apart for you. Lastly, we're almost done. In verse 37, it says, And every day Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged in the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now, what's this got to do with hope? The kind of hope that Jesus is, is calling us to, the hope that is in him and him alone, is a hope that confidently longs for his return. Lord, I want you to come back. It's a hope that, that kind of tends to unburden our hearts from these worldly distractions. Lord, you're going to work it all out with my job and my kids and everything else. But it's a hope that prioritizes hearing his word. It prioritizes hearing his word. The scripture says, listen, so faith comes from hearing and hearing, hearing the word of God. Do you know what builds your confidence in Jesus? Reading what he said. Reading what the scripture says about him. Reading about who, what he's done. This is what the Holy Spirit uses to grow our faith, to teach us we can trust him. See, I, I do trust the word of God. I do. I believe in the word of God, but my confidence is in the God of the word. It's in the God of the word. It's what he says. So, some, some ways that we can respond right now. I should have put them in my notes. I think they're on the screen. Are they on the screen? Yes. Are you hoping for Jesus' return or are you fearing Jesus' return? Seriously. I mean, I, 
I'm, uh, you answer that question seriously before God. Are you saying, Lord, if you came back today, it would be glorious? Or you're saying, Lord, I'd prefer next Friday. <laughs> what do you want? Do we really believe that the Jesus who told us all this nasty stuff's going to happen, who rightly and accurately and specifically prophesied and predicted the fall of Jerusalem and prophesied and predicts about the, 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 the final judgment of God in this world, do we really take him at his word and believe that that same Jesus loved us enough to die for us and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and is going to come back? Do we trust him enough to say, Lord, come back? You coming back is more important than anything else. I know some of you might be thinking right now, yeah, but I have friends and family that don't know him yet. I want them to know him yet. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Get busy. <laughs> get, get on your knees and pray. If they're local, bring them to the craft fair. Shameless plug. What's the other one say? Are you distracted by escapism or fatalism? Do you know what I mean by those two things? Escapism would be the things that Jesus says, careful about your heart's being weighed down. You know, like, oh, this life's just horrible. Forget it, I'm just going to party. I'm just going to get this takeaway. Forget it, I'm going to just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself the best. I'm just going to focus on me. I've got to get some me time. I'm going to escape from problems to something other than Jesus. That's escapism. Fatalism is like, oh, the world's horrible. Nothing matters. Nothing good's going to happen. Man, I hear Christians talk like this. And I think, do you have any hope? Is that where you are? Gosh, I shouldn't memorize these things, shouldn't I? So are you going to seek to share your hope in the midst of your suffering? Because listen, I, I don't honestly know how close we are to the end of all things. I don't know. But I do know that Peter taught us to pray. He said, listen, you need to be praying soberly because the end of all things is at hand. He said that 2,000 years ago. So I'm guessing we're a bit closer now than we were then. And so life's going to get tough. Life's been tough for us, hasn't it? The last couple of years, it's been rough. It's been really rough. But do you still have hope in Jesus? If you have hope, are you willing to share that hope? Father, I pray that you would indeed build our hope. We pray, Father, that our hearts would overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, do that for us. And we pray that as we see you, Jesus, as you are, and we hope in you, Lord, not that we would act like these big things, these catastrophes and calamities don't bother us, but Lord, that we turn our eyes to you and with a confident stand, we'd say, Lord, we look forward so much to our redemption. We can't wait to be in your arms. We can't wait, Lord, until all the injustice and rubbish of this world is dealt with and we see you face to face. Father, I pray you do this for us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being patient.